welcome to Talk Agnomy, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brennan Black, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. This is Frank Tebow. Mr. Tebow. Good afternoon. Nice to meet you, or nice to see you. Um, why don't you start off by, um, well, before that, I'll give a, a brief description. So Mr. Tebow here is a um, teacher at the uh, Tulare COS uh, campus, and he'll give you a little bit more of, a, of an introduction than that, but uh, I've known Mr. Tebow for quite some time. He was my parents' ag teacher when they were in high school, and he's taught for a long time. Long time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, he's uh, been a, a very um, good uh source of information for me. I've gone to him for a lot of uh, different, you know, questions regarding agriculture or just school in general. So I thought it'd be good to kind of tap his brain a little bit for some more information on uh, more of the history of agriculture and, and the history of agriculture education to be more specific. So um, if you wouldn't mind, give a, you know, a little introduction of, of yourself to our audience here. Well, it's good to be here this afternoon, Brendan. Yes, this is my 43rd year teaching. Wow. I started teaching in 1978 and um, was hired at Washington Union High School hmm. up in Easton in uh, West Fresno. And my first teaching assignment was um, with an, another longtime agriculture teacher and leader in the state of California, and that was Harry Maddox. Hmm. And Mr. Maddox and I talked together there at Washington Union for two years. And my original teaching assignment, I taught about half the day in the shop, and then I taught animal science as well as um, vineyard management. Oh wow! And being from uh, the foothills of Tulare County, specifically south of Porterville, about what I knew out of vineyards was uh, get the cork out of the bottle. <laughs> so it was a stretch for me that first couple of years. Yeah. I was there for three years and had the opportunity to teach also with a, another legend in the um, California community of agriculture instructors, and it was a man named Del Clement. Mm. And Del um, and his brother Cal, of course, had uh, Clement Meats for many years over in Hanford. And um, then I had the opportunity to come back to Visaya and actually teach at Mount Whitney High School with the two men who had been my high school ag teachers. Huh. And um, I taught there for 18 years and had the opportunity to make the transfer over to COS and at COS, I've had the opportunity to teach almost all the curriculum in agriculture in addition to the industrial arts welding program. Oh. I have served as the uh, college farm uh, manager for many years and served six years as the agriculture department division chair. So uh, I find myself in my next to last semester before retirement. So it's a good thing you came down by today, Brendan, or somebody else would be sitting here. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad we were able to catch you before you, uh, you know, retire for, for forever. Much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure you won't stop teaching Aggie even after you're retired, <laughs> if, if we know anything about you. <laughs> so, all right, well, thanks for that uh, introduction and telling our audience a little bit about, you know, where you come from and what you've done and um, your involvement and in, in why you're here. Um, just jumping into the interview, I have a few questions here for you, and uh, like I said earlier, it's mostly going to be about just the history of ag education as a whole, um, kind of where we started and where we've come, and uh, where you see the ag education, um, I guess you could say, industry going uh, over the next uh, few years, um, maybe over the you know the next couple hundred years, if, if, if we're still around that long, hopefully. Um, so yeah, just jumping into it, um, why don't you tell us a little bit of a brief history as to the origins of ag education, if you happen to to know a little about that. Well, certainly on a, on a national level, it is well known. The history of vocational agriculture education is well known. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was began at the national level 
with a federal act that was passed by um, sponsored by two guys name of Smith and Hughes right and this was in the um, second decade of the 20th century and from that um, agriculture education spread throughout the country its original concept was to be able to bring modern farming techniques to high school boys hmm. and um, so high school agriculture teachers were expected to be experts in their field mm. and to be an aid to the community through the young men of that community in many communities especially in the beginning both in California and throughout the rest of the country ag teachers were expected to teach at night and actually teach adults in the latest techniques in the production of food and fiber. You have to remember, of course, that agriculture education predates the Green Revolution by almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. So there was an effort on the part of agriculture to begin disseminating scientific methods. Mm. California was an early um, participant in the Smith-Hughes Act. The very first FFA chapter, um, which was part of the original act, that there would be a a youth leadership organization tied to agriculture education um, was actually at Lodi. Um, Lodi had the first FFA chapter and thus the first recognized vocational agriculture program in the state. um, It has uh, progressed and has been a educational model that while it has remained very true to its roots, it has changed and expanded over the years to continue to attract young, bright, educated people into agriculture to have the next generation of agriculture leaders. Wow. So, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the uh, kind of, not necessarily origins, but kind of like the earlier years of ag education and the youth groups began in Virginia, right, with the Virginia Farm Boys? Correct. Um, And that's what later expanded to become the Future Farmers of America Youth Organization. All right. Um, So would it be wrong to say that the roots of agriculture education kind of started to grow a bit more or at least were um, better founded with the creation of these youth groups, FFA and 4-H and Young Farmers and Ranchers and that sort of thing? It was recognized by by the men who wrote the Smith-Hughes Act Mm. that what what would be the best approach for quality education in agriculture is that there would be a classroom component, Mm -hmm. there would be a experience component where the student would begin to apply the lessons learned in the classroom for themselves in production agriculture or in the business of agriculture and that there was a need to develop youth leadership for the agriculture industry and thus the activities of the FFA. Mm. That three circle model is still the model used today and that is classroom, SOE, SAE, SAE, (laughs) and FFA. Wow. All right. Well, that's, um, well, I know the origins of FFA. FFA started in 1928. I'm not entirely familiar with the origins of 4-H because I know it's been around longer than FFA, Mm -hmm. right? How long has 4-H been around? 4-H has been around since the conception of land-grant colleges, which was by Abraham Lincoln. Oh, wow. Yeah, what what Lincoln 
and his cabinet decided was that there was a need to do research in agriculture. Certainly in Lincoln's administration, the entire country was an agrarian society. Oh, absolutely. But they realized that there was a need for science and educated people to be involved in agriculture. So what a land-grant college literally is, is that the property that the college exists on mm -hmm. was given for education by the federal government okay. and is still supported mm -hmm. by the federal government. In the state of California, the closest thing that we have and the true land-grant colleges we have is the University of California system. Oh, wow. That's why it is the oldest university system in California. Okay, interesting. And the 4-H, of course, is, yeah, we were talking about the 4-H. The 4-H <laughs> is part of the, uni the university's um, outreach programs. Gotcha. In, in the state of California, it's called the UC Extension Service. And the 4-H is simply one of the projects of the UC Extension Service. Okay. So the 4-H, so it was, it was originally created by the universities as an outreach program. So when did it start outreach, outreaching to more younger uh, membership? Like, like the, it still it, from, from the beginning. Oh, okay. Right. So. The, the big difference between 4-H and FFA, in my mind, is, is that 4-H requires is managed, created, offered, and especially at the ground level, all by volunteers. Okay. Where the FFA mm -hmm. has a professional agriculture instructor mm -hmm. who is who um, promotes the FFA, teaches the leadership components of the FFA, and helps the students with FFA activities. In a lot of states, that does not include the exhibition of animals. I see. If you go to a county fair in the state of Missouri, you will never see an, F, an ag teacher there. <laughs> they, all animals are shown through their 4-H projects. Oh, really? Right. And huh. there are county agents there who are the experts in beef and sheep and swine who are helping the 4-H students. Huh. Different models throughout the state. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and I know that other states, um, whether it be through FFA or 4-H, they have different varieties of animals they can show as well. Sure. Like, I don't know if it's true, but I heard in Alaska they show like reindeers. And I, I wouldn't <laughs> doubt it a bit. <laughs> it right. would seem logical to me. <laughs> so, would you say, which I'm sure that, I mean, this is kind of a simple question, but would you say that the um, agriculture education as a whole has changed over the time of its, of its creation that the style of teaching has changed, that the actual content has changed, that um, the people involved have changed in any way? Or Absolutely. Probably the biggest thing that cha has changed is the content. Mm. Because, of course, as new processes, new knowledge is gained, mm -hmm. well, the very second time that new knowledge is taught, it's no longer new. Now mm -hmm. it's old. And so we are, the content of agriculture education must constantly be changing. The emphasis of what knowledge is shared is probably a societal change that the FFA and agriculture education have been um, a huge success at being able to adapt I see. to um, changing society. For an organization that was intended for rural male youth, mm. We know now, especially in this state, that
that the predominant members are still slightly male, mm -hmm. but they, the number that are from rural settings is certainly in the minority now. Oh, absolutely. So the type of agriculture, science, technology, business, mm -hmm. all areas of agriculture are emphasized more than production agriculture. Mm. The FFA and agriculture education in the state of California has its greatest strength, certainly in the last 50 years, has been its ability to adapt and to stay relevant mm. to today's agriculture industry and to today's youth so that the two can find each other at some point in the 19th to 20th year mm. of a young person's life. And that's reflected by, well, for example, the FFA changing its name from the Future Farmers of America to the National FFA Organization. You know, Absolutely. They're trying to get away from that, just we're just farmers, you know, label. They wanted to be seen as agriculturalists and scientists and businessmen all working together for a common purpose. So, you bet. Okay, interesting. Um, so, seeing that it has changed in the amount of time that it's existed, how do you see it changing in the future? In similar ways with just, you know, with new technology coming out, they'll teach about that new technology, or do you see any uh, drastic changes to the ag classroom um, over the next, let's say, 50 years? It, certainly no one has a crystal ball. Right. But I think one of the strengths of when the, the idea of the three circles, classroom, project, FFA, mm -hmm. when it was created was that modern agriculture teachers are able to change the delivery mm -hmm. of those three models and stay relevant. Certainly there will be huge con content changes mm -hmm. in, in any education and certainly nothing, no more than the agriculture educators will have to change mm -hmm. what they teach today. Right. But the, the model at which it is offered is still one that is probably more unique now mm -hmm. than it was at any other time in educational history. My, my example is that a student could work on an SAE project mm -hmm. for their entire school year. The only one that would ever see it, perhaps their parents and their ag teacher. And then at the end of the year, perhaps they would take that project and exhibit it at a county fair. Mm. That lesson that is learned by that type of labor and that type of commitment is something that is becoming wholly unique mm. to um, the agriculture education in the 21st century. Yeah. For these projects do not include hours on end in front of a computer screen. Right. And they are not a team effort no. where yippee, we're all here, we're all <laughs> suffering together, we're all winning together. They are individual efforts. Mm -hmm. And that portion of agriculture education is becoming more and more unique, but its value is gaining and becoming more and more valuable to a young person's career and certainly to society as a whole. Mm, I agree completely. Um, where would you say, because like we'll, we'll, like like we're talking about the um, the demographics of the FFA members have definitely changed a lot. We have a lot less rural members than we did before, and there's definitely a lot more um, girls and non-white males involved. Absolutely, I, it's 
skyrocketed since yep. 1965 and 69. Um, where would you say we need agricultural education the most? Then, if we're if we're getting in a lot of the more urban areas, it's an it's an interesting concept. Where is agriculture education needed more? <laughs> and of course, agriculture has suffered from its own success, mm. and that is that there is no one left alive in America today that can remember seeing an American starve to death. Mm. Therefore, food is plentiful and cheap. And so people's concerns about agriculture and those that make their livelihood from it, um, those that care about the existence of it, um, continue to shrink in numbers Mm. as the population becomes more urban, yet the abundance of food continues to grow Mm. and the quality of it continues to grow. So who is it that needs agriculture education? Certainly anyone interested Mm. in the vast industry that is agriculture and it is is, one would be hard pressed in the state of California to speak of an industry that does not gain some of its business from agriculture. Mm. Therefore the saying that a banker told me just a few years ago was it's easy for us to take an agriculturalist a guy that has had education in agriculture and teach him how to be a banker mm-hmm. then because they're going to be dealing with agriculturalists right. than it is to take a banker and teach him about ag mm-hmm. i think that the consumer would benefit from an agriculture class if for no other reason than being educated on food safety, mm. therefore understanding where food comes from. Yeah. So I think that agriculture education and particularly its emphasis on the industry, but also its unique training opportunities for young people mm. will make it relevant to many different groups, even including the urban group of students. Mm. Okay, um, do you think that these, um, youth groups, FFA and 4-H and some of the other ones, especially as more young people from these groups are getting more involved in the agriculture industries, um, do you think that these groups are helping with the uh, expansion and and education of agriculture to the non-agricultural communities? Like we talked about with the urban population, that they're becoming more agriculturally literate because of these groups, but do you think the members themselves are um, actively going out and educating others, like their friends and family, at a and a rate that matters, the rate that's really going to help with the ag literacy issue? Brendan, in, in just in my career, I know that the emphasis that you just stated, mm-hmm. and that is FFA members mm-hmm. being ambassadors for agriculture industry, the emphasis on that has increased a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, that was not needed because everyone was tied to agriculture. Right anyway Mm -hmm. that you didn't have people at the fair who didn't understand at least enough about about agriculture production Mm -hmm. to um, be so wholly ignorant about it that they were unhappy Mm -hmm. but I believe that yes the emphasis um, from especially that I see from young agriculture instructors those teaching at the high school level um, they are well prepared and they take 
that responsibility of training their students to be ambassadors for agriculture much more seriously than we certainly did 40 years ago. Mm. Yeah, no, I actually talked about that in a previous episode with you know, with my co-hosts back when they were still um, available to do episodes. Uh, <laughs> not that I'm uh, trying to complain or anything, but uh, <laughs> when um, in one of the first episodes we ever did of this podcast, we had a discussion about ag literacy as a whole. And one of the things that one of the points that I made to my co-host was we didn't really have an ag literacy issue that long ago because it wasn't that long ago that people had chickens in their backyard and everyone could walk down the street and point at a cow and know exactly what came from that cow and you know everyone knew a farmer and, and was friends with a farmer and everyone you know went to you know they understand where their food come, came, came from well now we have people who they literally live not two blocks away from a dairy and they don't know where their milk comes from correct and it's it's insane how that can even be possible but it's just you know a lack of either a lack of them taking the initiative to go learn about it or a lack of you know the agriculturalist part of educating them properly on, on what is going on behind the scenes and it might be a little bit of both might be something else coming in there but certainly a bit of both yeah no i agree um do you see the issue of agricultural literacy increasing or are we kind of doing a good job of, of keeping it under control lately no i believe that um i believe we are not doing a good job <laughs> <laughs> agriculture because it is a science mm-hmm. and a business tends to um, live in the world and operate in the world mm-hmm. and educate students in a world of facts and figures mm-hmm. that black is black and white is white right. and here's why it is. The lab proves it so. And it's not like that sometimes, it's like that all the time. Right. What agriculture as a whole and not just the FFA and not just the youth, what they need to do, what I believe needs to be done and, and, it, and we see examples mm-hmm. of how it can be successful and that is to defend agriculture not with facts and figures but with a human face mm-hmm. and reach out to people's emotions. Mm-hmm. One of the, you know, two of the, the best marketing plans ever in the history of any product were agriculture products. Mm-hmm. And the first one was in um, when your dad was a kid, the popular alcoholic drink was called uh, sparkling wine. Oh. And this was carbonated wine. Mm-hmm. The wine that was carbonated was absolute trash. <laughs> They'd been throwing it away for years. And finally, one particular family hit on the key. If you carbonated it, then um, people would drink it. Mm-hmm. And they named their company Bartles and James. And they hired two actors dressed like farmers that to simply say, and they were very simple ads, they simply were holding the product and they, the only thing they ever said was, thank you for your support. <laughs> and people thought that that wine, that product was being made by those two guys on the screen who were likable old guys. They never put a sales pitch on. <laughs> they just thanked people who made Bartles and James the world's largest vintner, wow. Ernest and Julio Gallo. And at one time, in the sparkling, the soda pop wine <laughs> business, they had a 37% market share wow. because of that ad. The other great success is California cheese and the happy cow ads. Yeah, it, no, I agree. It, it, they never show the product, Right. if no. you notice. And the reason is California cheese isn't better than anybody else's cheese. <laughs> but the cows here are happy. Right, no, exactly. Yeah, it's all... <laughs> People don't care about the facts and figures, they like care it's about emotional. The, the emotional thing. And it's very difficult for, mm-hmm. ag- for agriculture educators who have a degree in science. Right. And therefore, it is behooving upon 
the training universities to realize that there must be spokesmen who speak on behalf of agriculture at an emotional level, mm -hmm. not at a facts and figures level. I think it's important to to speak with the emotional level to catch to catch their attention, but to have the facts and figures there as well. Inevitably, right? Inevitably, but first, if people do have absolutely no idea mm -hmm. of where their food comes from, the facts and figures m would be secondary to them, mm -hmm. so far as if there was a face of a farmer and his family right. that would be hurt by some legislation that would not improve the quality, mm -hmm. the quantity, or the availability of their food. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Which is kind of, like you were saying, it's difficult for ag educators to swallow that pill because, I mean, just most um, people in general, I mean, like we listen to Ben Shapiro all the time, you, the same thing you know everything that they argue they argue factually they argue with you Correct. know logic and reason but that's not usually the way to go with a lot of people who don't know the facts and figures because you know that's not what they care about you tell them a bunch of numbers it goes right over their head whereas you tell them that if you don't buy that farmer's milk he's not gonna be able to feed his family tonight then that kind of resonates with them like Correct. oh okay well we right. need, he needs our help yep look at it the job he's doing right yep no exactly all right well moving on to the Next question I had, going back to the youth groups again, I like, mm -hmm. like to get those youth groups in. <laughs> um, what role do you think that they play, or what significance do you think they have in the um, education of the of the general public, or in the increase of agricultural literacy? They, um, the the youth groups, 4-H and FFA, and young farmers, mm -hmm. um, young farmers and ranchers through the Farm Bureau, right. um, the collegiate chapters of agriculture leaders at the college level are the, um, they are the soundbite. Mm. They are the happy picture. They can be utilized for all that is still strong and good about, about agriculture mm. as a shining example of success. Mm. Um, we've talked about the fact that the education of, for agriculture students now is becoming more and more unique mm. and therefore they they have a tremendous role to play in supporting the agriculture industry and carving out a place for themselves mm. in that industry for when we talk about leaders developing leaders through the FFA I am not talking about people to take over current people's jobs right. I'm talking about people that are going to take my job who are going to do things totally different than I did it mm -hmm. and better than I did it and that's what a leader is supposed to do mm. not simply continue but to grow and expand and most importantly improve upon what has been done in the past mm. I, I agree and a lot of these um, a lot of these young kids or young students coming into the especially into the college setting um, whether it be encouragement from their current teachers or just aspirations to be like those who um, who inspire them so much are wanting to be ag teachers. And Absolutely. Which we have a pretty massive shortage of those right now, so we could use a, a new wave of, of ag teachers coming in, which brings me to my next question. Do you think there's a possibility that we'll ever run out of ag teachers? Um, I do not. I think that <laughs> the um, current generation of ag teachers have done 
such an outstanding job mm -hmm. that the reason young people wish to be ag teachers is to emulate them, mm -hmm. that agree. they believe in what they've been taught. Yes. The challenge is, is that agriculture education, when compared, especially at the high school level, mm -hmm. when compared to other teaching assignments, is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And why is it, why are ag teachers often the students' most fond memories of high school is because of all that extra work. Mm -hmm. I can, um, of course, 40 years in teaching, I've had a lot of students, and I know for a fact that not a single student remembers the lecture that I gave on pipe wrenches. <laughs> but I know that most of them that I took to the Cow Palace for 25 years mm -hmm. remember going to the Cow Palace. Oh yeah, I still hear stories about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that extra stuff that makes it special. Yeah, no, exactly. So for what reasons did you want to become an ag teacher? The, for, the, for the same reason that young people today want to. I admired my ag teacher. Mm -hmm. When I got into high school, I found my home in school for the first time in my life, mm -hmm. and therefore it was a logical um, career for me to, to go into. Mm -hmm. um, I, it was not my first choice in career. I had my chance at my first choice. I had a chance to go back to it a couple of times throughout my teaching career, but it was one that I found more rewarding than I ever realized it could be. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm just, I'm the, I am the typical <laughs> ag teacher in that I got into ag teaching because of the ag teacher that I had. Mm -hmm. Yep, it seems to be an endless cycle. You know, it is. One ag teacher inspires another, another one becomes an ag teacher and inspires another kid who becomes an ag teacher. Absolutely, absolutely. I, think, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think that's a very... No, I, I think that it's very unique. Yeah, no, I, I, th I think it is too. I mean, how many teachers, how many English teachers do you see inspiring people to become English teachers? <laughs> <laughs> not to bash English teachers, right. but I'm just saying. I mean, right. they tend not have as large of an impact. People, Correct. People usually become English teachers because they have a love of literature or like a love of the English language or something along those lines. It very rarely has to do with he who taught them or she who taught them. Correct. So, yeah, I think that's something that the ag teachers kind of have going for them is, you know, they have that special connection with their students. Um, has being an ag teacher, because you said that there was another career choice you had in mm -hmm. mind, um, has being an ag teacher changed your view of the world, of the ag industry, of the education, uh, the education system at all? Probably more, um, it has changed my view more of educational system than it has of agriculture. Mm. I farmed and have farmed my entire life um, as well as taught. Mm. And this, that, that pattern was very common in when I started. Uh, most, most ag teachers were, were farming on the side somewhere, doing, doing something. Right. The, um, but my view ha about how things have changed, especially in education, I have seen education in California, you know, go from the pendulum swing from um, every single high school student was going to go to the University of California and to swing way, way over to that side. And I'm beginning to see it swing back now mm -hmm. where a value in what, it, what used to be called vocational education, now career technical education, mm -hmm. that the value of its existence is swinging back. It is a testament 
to my generation of agriculture teachers that there is even agriculture education left in California. Because when I was a student in high school, even when I started teaching at Mount Whitney High School, mm -hmm. there were four other shop programs, there was a drafting program, there was a home economics program that employed four full-time instructors. Wow. The only thing left at the high school I went to now in, in CTE mm -hmm. is ag. Mm -hmm. And why is it left was because of my generation of teachers understanding the political ramifications of what was happening to them mm -hmm. and being willing to organize because of the leadership training we had received yeah. from our ag teachers, mm -hmm. being willing to organize to spread the word uh, that agriculture education had something to offer every student, mm -hmm. not just the farm kid. I see. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> So I have one final question, and it's the same question I ask pretty much all of the guests I have on here. Um, what advice would you give to someone um, that is that has a passion for educating others and is pursuing a career or otherwise lifestyle in which they uh, have you know they attempt to increase ag literacy or they attempt to educate others about agriculture, like we're doing right now with with this talk show? What advice would you have sir, for someone like that? I believe that in any industry, and agriculture is not unique here, that there are jobs, careers, if you will, and specifically careers that have to do with educating the customer base, the society, about what it is that your industry does. Mm. And I believe that marketing people are educators. Mm. Um, developers of new products, new ways of doing things, have to educate someone for them to um, spread the, the good word. Mm. A, an agriculturalist, a plant scientist by the name of Norman Borlaug, who is nowadays quoted as the father of the Green Revolution, mm. Norman stated that his biggest challenge was farmers themselves mm. because what he was talking about was, was doing things differently yeah. and he had to educate them but that when he got the educators on his side, that the next generation, and he was in the, in the plant science industry for three or four generations, mm -hmm. it was his ideas of scientific applications to the production of food and fiber simply became accepted mm -hmm. by, by young people. If a person has a passion to be in formal education, I believe that in the state of California now are the best training institutions to be teachers any found anywhere in the state. If your goal is to be an ag teacher in the state of California, go to school here. Mm -hmm. Learn hands-on skills. Be ready, be competent at what hands-on skills you are going to teach in the labs that you teach. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be an ag tech teacher, and you're going to teach power mechanics, you should know how to fix it, mm -hmm. how to hook it up, how to operate that tractor, that piece of equipment. Not simply have been trained in a classroom, but actually know it. Mm -hmm. In order to be a teacher in this state, one must have a specialized credential, which requires hours of work experience. Right. Those are as important as the formal part of, of an education um, background mm -hmm. 
as any other part. Be enthusiastic, be flexible enough to change, mm -hmm. understand that your rewards will be tangible, they will be real when they come to you, mm -hmm. they're not going to be financial, but the rewards of teaching in a formal institution are greater rewards than the financial side. But get as much education as you can, and by all means, live a life that gives you the, the experience that you can pass on through hands-on education. And I believe that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that was the last of my questions. Good. Uh, I'd like to thank you very much for uh, having this interview with me. It my was, pleasure. It was very, my pleasure. Uh, informational. And it was fun for me. Yeah, very educational. I think our audience enjoyed it as well. Good. Um, I've, you'd be surprised how many people I have watching that know who you are. And, <laughs> and when they got so excited when I told them I was interviewing. Frank Tebow. <laughs> good, good. All right, so yeah, I think that's it. I'd like to thank all of you guys so much for tuning in. Um, we're going to have uh, another interview going out next or in two weeks because uh, we're posting every two weeks now. So this one will be posted a couple weeks after because um, I posted one yesterday. So, or not yesterday, um, last week. No, it was yesterday. <laughs> I'm so thrown off. I posted one yesterday. So this one will be going up in two weeks from yesterday. Um, so, yeah, you can look out for it then. And, um, Fantastic. I will definitely be laying I look forward to seeing it. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And don't forget, if you ate today, thank a farmer.